it's exciting to, to continue the anticipation building up to Christmas. And uh, we've been talking about making the most of Christmas uh, these last couple of weeks. This finds us in week three of a series titled Making the Most of Christmas. And we're borrowing that title from a phrase that Paul uses in Colossians chapter four. So that's sort of been the launch pad. I want to begin there again uh, this week. We're just going to look at verse five because this is sort of the central verse of the whole series and where we get this idea of making the most of Christmas. So if you'll turn to page 1834 in the Pew Bibles, we'll be there for a minute, and then we'll, we'll back up a little bit in your Bible as well. But in verse 5 of Colossians, Paul writes these words. He says, Be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Make the most of every opportunity. And that's where we get this idea of making the most of Christmas. We, we see that Christmas is a tremendous opportunity, that the whole world, it seems, is focused on this idea of Christmas, whether they're actively opposed to that language and they want to say happy holidays instead or acknowledge all of the different uh, things that this could be pointing to, or whether they're just sort of ambivalent and indifferent. We'll all find ourselves interacting with people over the next few weeks, whether they're friends or family or co-workers or people in, in shopping centers and so forth, where we'll have opportunities to make the most of Christmas. So we started by talking about praying constantly, that, that being in an attitude of prayer, just like Anna in the temple, gives us eyes to see what God wants us to see, to make the most of those opportunities. And last week we talked about proclaiming that gospel clearly and making the most of any opportunity you have to point people to Jesus as our Savior. Today we're going to talk about acting wisely. And uh, that word wise or wisdom, we want to focus on that for just a minute because, uh, you know, when you think about wisdom, you might think of a wise old owl or you might think of somebody you know who always seems to say the right thing at the right time or to have really good advice. It's interesting to look at the Greek word that we translate as wisdom. It's the Greek word Sophia. Sophia, and you might know somebody named Sophia. That name literally means Wisdom. It's where we get our modern word philosophy. Phileo being the brotherly love and Sophia being wisdom. It's the love of wisdom. That's what philosophy is. People who pour into the great thinking and the great intellect and the great wisdom of the ages are philosophers. And they, through assimilating these things, add new philosophies uh, to our world. So when we talk about philosophy or Sophia or wisdom. We're really talking about intellect. We're talking about insight. We're talking about understanding and intelligence. And so when Paul says, be wise in the way that you act, he's saying, use those things. Use insight. Use understanding. Use intelligence in the way that you act toward outsiders, especially those who are outside the faith. Now, I like the definition of wisdom, that wisdom is knowledge or understanding appropriately applied. That's the difference between just knowing something and wisdom is that we apply that knowledge in the right way, in the appropriate way, at the appropriate time. In fact, one pastor said, uh, it's not that we have a vitamin K deficiency, vitamin knowledge. It's not that we don't know what to do. It's that we have a vitamin A 
deficiency. We don't apply the knowledge that we have. In fact, he joked then, he said, you know, I ought to just get up and preach one sermon over and over and over until everybody in the church is doing it, and then we'll move on to the next one. Because I don't know if we do a a service by constantly introducing new information. Maybe we need to apply the knowledge that we have and really zero in on that and then move on to the next and the next and the next. So we're to act wisely. We're to not just theorize or philosophize. We're not just to think about it, but Paul says we are to act with wisdom. Just as James said, we should not just be hearers of the word, but be doers also. He's saying, don't just think wise thoughts and leave it unapplied. Act wisely in the way that you interact with people. And he says specifically toward outsiders, to those who are not yet followers of Christ. And that's what we're talking about when we're talking about making the most of Christmas, that you'll be interacting with people over these next couple of weeks who do not know that Jesus is the Savior of the world, sent by God into this world to be God with us and to save us from our sins. And that is the opportunity of Christmas that we want to make the most of. So we've been looking at uh, the Christmas story each week This week, I want to start about 970 years prior to the Christmas story. I want to start way back, about 3,000 years ago, with a story of somebody who is is hailed as the wisest person who ever lived. We're talking about Solomon. And if you'll turn in your pew Bibles, if you have one, to page 674, we're going to be looking at 2 Chronicles chapter 1 as we consider what it means to act wisely towards outsiders, acting wisely toward outsiders. I skipped over something really important here. When we're talking about acting wisely toward other people, we want to ask ourselves a question as we interact with people, especially as we might be sharing our faith with them or pointing them to Jesus. And that question is this, what's it like to be on the other side of me right now? What's it like to be on the other side of me right now? Because sometimes, even well-intentioned, we can become a little aggressive or a little judgmental or a little condemnatory, making condemnation sort of what comes from us as we share and as we maybe seek with the best intentions to make the most of Christmas. We want to be asking this question, what's it like to be on the other side of me? right now? What's it like to be? Is it, would I like somebody talking to me this way? Would I like somebody sharing this information with me this way? And so when we talk about acting wisely towards those who are outside the family of Christ, we want to make sure we're asking that question. So if you're, if you're caught up now on, on uh, 2 Chronicles chapter 1, back in those crisp pages of your Bible, we're going to look at this, this story. And this is very early on in the reign of Solomon. David, his father, who many people understand, King David, led through a great military expansion, conquered uh, the countries around, uh, around Israel, and, and the borders of Israel reached their peak during David and Solomon. So they had the greatest power, the greatest influence, the greatest territory at that time. David dies, and the kingdom passes to his son Solomon. And we picking up the story here just after Solomon has made his first address to the people of, of Israel. And this is what uh, Scripture records in Second Chronicles chapter 1, verse 7. That night God appeared to Solomon and said to him, ask for whatever you want me to give you. And Solomon answered God, saying, you have shown great kindness to David my father, and have made me king in his place. Now, Lord God, let your promise to my father David be confirmed, for you have made me king over a people who are as numerous as the dust of the earth. 
Give me wisdom and knowledge that I may lead this people, for who is able to govern this great people of yours? And God said to Solomon, Since this is your heart's desire, and you have not asked for wealth, riches, or honor, nor the death of your enemies, and since you have not asked for a long life, but for wisdom and knowledge to govern my people over whom I have made you king, therefore wisdom and knowledge will be given to you, and I will also give you wealth, riches, and honor, such as no king before you has ever had, and none after you will ever have. So Solomon could have asked for anything. God comes to him, visits him, and says, ask for whatever you want. But the thing he wanted most was not wealth, it was not honor, it was not riches, it wasn't further military expansion through the death of his enemies. The thing that that Solomon wanted most was wisdom and knowledge to lead the people, to judge rightly for the people. And so I wonder, what do you want most this Christmas? What do you seek most this year? What's on your list? Is it possessions? Is it wealth? Is it honor? Is it the death of your enemies? I hope not. I truly hope not. Because the bottom line today is that the wisest thing you can do is seek God. The wisest thing you can do is seek God. And Solomon became the wisest person who has ever lived because he got this right, because he chose. When he had the opportunity and he got his one request, he requested wisdom and knowledge to lead well. And he becomes an illustration of the words of Christ from Matthew chapter 6 where he says, Seek first the kingdom of God and its righteousness and everything else. All these other things, the food that you need to eat, the clothes that you need to wear, the shelter that you need, all this other stuff is going to be added to you, but seek first the kingdom of God. And he makes that same proclamation to us today, and Solomon becomes a wonderful illustration of this, that he seeks God's wisdom and God's knowledge first, and everything else is added to us as we do that. And so my encouragement to you as we think about wisdom being to seek God, to seek God wholeheartedly, to seek Him passionately, to hold nothing back, to to seek Him unreservedly. Much as we see in the Christmas story of the wise men. And it's kind of a shame that the wise men are so often placed at the stable because it's pretty clear from Scripture that the wise men left when the star went up when Jesus was born. They arrived a couple years later. That's why Herod killed all the babies that were two years or younger in Bethlehem. And I don't think it's a sin for you to have your your nativity set up with the wise men there. But I think we miss the devotion of the wise men who left all their wealth and all their possessions and everything behind back in the east, back in Persia or wherever they were, and made a two-mile journey to come and worship a king. There was dedication. There was devotion. They were committed to this. And we refer to them appropriately as wise men because they forsaked all else and pursued Christ wholeheartedly and passionately. And they exhibited wisdom in the way that they responded to Herod and to the different events that played out in front of them. And they left by a different way so that the Christ child would be safe and would be able to leave and go and make their escape to Egypt. And so we see these wise men sort of exemplifying this in the Christmas story. And I love the, the piece of art that you see sometimes in Christian bookstores or, or things like that that says, wise men still seek him. 
Wise women still seek him. Wise churches and wise families and wise businesses still seek him. They still put him first. They still leave the things of this world behind and seek him on a regular basis. And they are pointing us to that reality today. And Solomon becomes a wonderful example of this, of seeking Christ. So to come back to our our central verse today, Colossians 4, 5, where he says, be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. When we think about being wise in the way we act towards outsiders, we seek God first. We seek his glory first. We're ambassadors for Christ. Last week we talked about this idea that Christmas is all about God's glory and your peace. Your peace with him, your peace with each other, and your peace with yourself. And if we're seeking Christ on a daily basis and we're seeking to know God and to know him better and to show God to other people, then all of our interactions are going to be saturated with this idea of seeking God, seeking his glory, seeking to be ambassadors for him, to bring peace to others with God, with themselves, and with each other. And that's the idea behind being wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Don't damage your witness at Christmas. Don't damage Christ's reputation. Even though the lines are long, even though, I mean, goodness gracious, I took Ryan to get three Christmas presents. We went to the big box retail store, and I felt like I had really accomplished something getting out of there without losing my temper, without, you know, blowing it in some way, because it's just chaotic. There's a cart in every aisle you're trying to get around. Uh, He was a little indecisive on what he wanted to get, so we went over here, and then we went over here, and then we just, yeah, we really want to be over here, and so we went back and forth, and, and when I pulled away out of the parking lot, without an accident, without stumbling, tripping, pushing into anybody, without losing my temper, I thought, I feel like I really accomplished something, right? You know what I'm talking about, don't you? And that's like every day for most people around Christmas time. So we want to make sure we're acting wisely and that we're not doing anything that will damage our witness or Christ's reputation. And ask that question that that was really big in the 90s and it's kind of fallen away, but I refer back to it every now and then because it's good around Christmas time to ask yourself, what would Jesus do right now? What would Jesus do? Would he... Would he cut in front of somebody? Would he be sharp in, in their tone with, with the, the person who's, who's checking out your groceries or something like that? Or, or would he be kind and patient and gentle and let somebody go ahead or, or pay for somebody when their credit card declines two or three times? Would you just pick that up if it's a couple dollars and you can help somebody out and be a blessing in Jesus' name? That's what goes into acting wisely toward outsiders. And then beyond this season, this is something we can do all the time. One commentary said, you know, Christians would go a long ways in in being wise towards outsiders if they would just work hard, pay their bills, and keep your promises. That that goes a long way. When people know that we are believers, they know that we name the name of Christ. If If we will keep our promises, if we'll pay our bills, if we'll work hard and people see that, that's a testimony to him. That's a testimony to him. And the last thing we can do is we can watch our mouth, right? That's what we're going to talk about next week. A little spoiler alert. Next week's message is titled, Speak Graciously. This last exhortation that Paul gives us in this passage in in, in Colossians chapter 4 is to be gracious in the way that we speak towards other people. So we'll look at that next week. But the final thing I want to share with you today is, is one of the things that has helped me understand 
and grow in, in wisdom more than anything else in the last couple of years. And it's, it's a diagram that was drawn and shared for me about a year and a half ago, a little over a year and a half ago, and it, it charts the relationship between my awareness of God and the things of God and my awareness with myself. So we've got a, a diagram here, and if you've ever seen one of these diagrams, the, the vertical axis represents our awareness of God and His activity in the world, our awareness of His mind and heart and His character, And the horizontal line is our awareness of ourselves. Answering that question, what's it like to be on the other side of me right now? Our awareness of how we're coming across and how we're being perceived. And so when we talk about God awareness and self-awareness, we're either growing in those things or we're diminishing in those things. So the center point is, is neutral. And we got another slide, and it kind of shows what each quadrant looks like. Right? So if, if you're over here in the fatalism, which you probably don't use that word on a regular basis, but the idea behind fatalism is we have this really high awareness of God and his activity in the world, but we don't think we really have a part to play. Like it's all up to fate. And I'm just kind of a little robot moving through life and my choices don't matter. And I don't, I don't really impact my destiny all that much. That would be a fatalist view of the world, that it's all God's activity in the world, not my activity at all. We're just kind of playing out the play that is set before us. Maybe you've you've known people that think that way or talk that way or they think everything all happens fate or karma or those types of things. So that's that's a high view of God and awareness of God, but a really low self-awareness. The next one is what we call nihilism. It's where we get the word annihilation, where it's destroyed and there's nothingness, right? That's nihilism. And that's a really low view of God or awareness of God and his activity in the world and a really low view of our own. This is kind of Eeyore syndrome, right? Oh, bother. Probably wouldn't matter anyway. Doesn't matter what I do. It's all going to turn out bad. There's, there's no real order. Everything is chaos. Solomon says in Ecclesiastes, meaningless, meaningless. Everything is meaningless. That's kind of a nihilistic view of the world. Really low opinion of God's activity in the world and a really low opinion of our own activity in the world. The other one that's listed there is, is narcissism. Narcissism. This is kind of the teenage pop star syndrome where you think the world revolves around you. And there's a really high awareness of your activity in the world, but you don't think God has anything. You think you are God. Kind of like if you've ever heard the, the joke about the dog, the dog looks at its master and says, this person feeds me and pets me and cares for me. He must be God. The cat, on the other hand, says, this person feeds me, pets me, and cares for me. I must be God. That's a cat joke. I I only do two of those a year. I promise I won't do any more. I love cats. I love cats. Well, I love one cat. I'll just put it that way. And it's yours. Trust me. Um, But that's that's the narcissist view is like, it's all about me. You listen to one radio station, WIIFM. What's in it for me? FM. You get it? That's another joke. It's called pastoral humor. Sometimes it's, a, it's more of an oxymoron. But, but the idea here is that we're at the center of the universe. So you might be asking, well, what goes in the fourth quadrant up there when we have a, a high or a growing understanding and awareness of God, of who he is, of what he's doing in this world, as well as our ability to impact the world with the decisions that we make, with the actions that we take. That is called co-creation, where we and God are are working together 
to impact this world. We are creating the world that God wants us to live out. And you see the line kind of squiggles because in my experience, this works where I get some insight about God and about who he is and how he works in this world. And that insight drives me to greater insight about who I am and what he wants me to do in this world. And as I understand more about myself and who he's created me to be and the gifts and talents that he's given me and the opportunities that he's given me, now I'm able to understand new things about God. Do you see how there's a dynamic relationship there? And we call this co-creation. And I love the verse, Ephesians 2.10. We talk about this in our Next Steps class here at Linwood. Ephesians 2.10 says that you are God's masterpiece. You are God's masterpiece created to do good works, which he created for you to do beforehand. That you're a masterpiece of God. That God created you and he created you to do good works. And there are good works for you to do that you will walk in. This is the co-creation that we're talking about. As we discover who we are and who we are in Christ. We discover what he has for us to do. The influence that he wants us to bring to the relationships that we're in. That is co-creation. That is wisdom. That is understanding who God is and understanding who he created us to be and what he created us to do. And that word masterpiece, it's literally a work of art. You are God's work of art. He created you and he created you to do good things. And the wisest thing that you can do is seek him and seek to understand who he created you to be and what he created you to do so that you can get busy doing it. The theologian Craig Barnes has said, and and this summarizes the whole thing, you can only surrender what you know of yourself to what you know of God. And the more you understand of yourself and who he created you to be, and the more you understand of God and who he is and how he works in this world, the more you will have to surrender to the God of your understanding. And this dynamic relationship of growing and understanding and awareness of who we are and who he is is that co-creation that leads us into a deeper understanding, leads us into wisdom, true wisdom, of knowing who we are and having a growing awareness of who God is and who he's created us to be. Often in premarital counseling, I'll chart a relationship between awareness that then grows to understanding, if we'll do the hard work, and that understanding leads to acceptance and finally to appreciation. And over and over in marriages, I'll see where awareness is met with judgment, or I don't like it, or I don't care for that. I become aware of something that my spouse does, and there's never an understanding. There's never understanding that comes. Why do they do that? Why do they think that? Is there, is there something that I did that caused them to act that way or to respond that way? Or, or is there something that, that happened in their past or maybe from their family of origin? And so we spend time understanding that and building communication Uh, tools around this idea that that what we become aware of leads to understanding, leads to acceptance. And when we accept it, then we can appreciate it. And we can say, oh, that's really a gift that God brought the two of us together so that we would benefit from each other, that we would grow together through awareness, understanding, acceptance, and appreciation. And that's what we're talking about here, that we are in this relationship with God, that we grow in awareness with him, we'll grow in understanding. 
with him. We'll grow in acceptance of who he is and who he created us to be. And finally, we will appreciate him in new ways and appreciate the work that he has given us to do in new ways. And we'll increasingly surrender ourselves to God. That's the bottom line today is the wisest thing that you can do is seek God. And so you might be asking, well, how do I do it, Pastor Mark? How do I seek God? Don't just tell me what to do. Tell me how to do it. And so I want to I want to apologize just a little bit on the front end because if you're like me and you see somebody on Facebook or something that loses a bunch of weight, you always want to know what they did, right? How did you lose all the weight? You want the, you want the silver bullet, right? You want the magic pill. You want whatever it is. You want it to be cheap. You want it to be easy. But you'll notice, if you're like me, you'll notice that over time, the people who lose the weight and keep the weight off do two things differently, don't they? Diet and exercise. I remember asking people, don't tell me diet and exercise. Tell me something else, please. I need it to be something else because diet and exercise and changing your lifestyle, that's hard. Well, it's kind of like that with knowing God and really seeking God. It comes down to prayer and reading his word. Prayer and reading his word and changing your lifestyle. Not a gimmick, not a one time I'll do this and it'll all be better, but like changing your lifestyle. Growing spiritually has to do with spending time in God's Word and spending time in prayer and spending time visiting with God about what He's showing you, about what's going on in your world. There are all kinds of ways to do this, but at the heart of all of them are going to be His Word and His prayer. They're kind of like the diet and exercise of your spiritual health. You've got to spend time in His Word. You've got to spend time in prayer. And once you're doing that, then you can move on to the other things, to, to studying and fellowship and, and community and worship and, and all of that. But if you're coming here and you're showing up on Sunday morning, but you're not spending time in God's Word every day, you're missing tremendous opportunities to seek God, to really put Him first. Now, I'm a morning person, so I do this in the morning. Maybe you're not a morning person. Maybe getting up and trying to read Scripture and pray is going to put you right back to sleep. Maybe you're a night owl. Well, whatever the best time of your day is, spend it with God. Figure out what it is. For me, it's the morning. I get up early. I have a cup of coffee. I spend time reading the Word. I spend time in prayer. I spend time journaling. I spend time reading devotionals and studying for messages and things like that. And it's the best time of my day, and I intentionally spend it with God. If the last little bit of the day is the best time for you and you're a night owl and that's really when you're firing on all cylinders, then be intentional about carving out time at the end of your day to spend with God. Maybe you peak around noon and you could intentionally set aside time in the middle of your day over your lunch hour or or something like that to spend time with God. But seek Him. Seek Him through His Word. Seek Him through prayer. Then study and journal and fast and give and serve and, and find places where there's silence and solitude for you to connect with God individually, but also corporately. Spend time in worship environments and in Bible studies and in community groups and, and in fellowship and serving together with other people. These are all ways that we seek God. These are all ways that we grow an understanding of who He is and what He's created us to do. And if you'll do that, you'll find yourself acting wisely toward those who are outside. And maybe you're already there, and you can come along and you can encourage somebody. You can say, hey, let's do it together. Let's hold each other accountable. I'll put it in my phone to ask you what you read today. Or, or find some way to come alongside and encourage somebody else this Christmas. Maybe that's how you can act wisely, is by impacting and helping somebody grow in their awareness of God and their awareness of themselves.
So that's my prayer for you today. That's my prayer for us as a church that as we close the door on 2018 and begin opening the door on 2019, that we'll be a people who are seeking God wholeheartedly and passionately and are worshiping Him in the best part of our day. You're going to have an opportunity to respond. You can respond where you're seated. You can come to an altar. You can pray here in the center two altars, and you'll be left to pray by yourself. If you'd like somebody to pray with you or pray for you, you can go to one of the outside two altars over in the wings there. Somebody will come put a hand on your shoulder and pray for you. But however you choose to respond, I pray that whatever the Spirit has tapped you on the shoulder and kind of given you that little feeling, that little, like, maybe that was for me. That's called conviction, and he wants you to respond in faith to that, to believe that if you make a change, something will be different because you came to church today. And that's my hope and prayer every week when we gather, is that you will be different on Monday because you came to church on Sunday. Would you bow with me as we pray today? Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, Lord. We thank you for the invitation that's always extended to us to seek you. And your word tells us that when we seek you with our whole heart, we will find you. We will grow in our awareness of you and your activity in this world. We will grow in awareness of your purpose for our lives. As a wise man once said, it's not how hard we try, it's how easy it becomes to follow you, Lord. May we be a people who pursue you wholeheartedly and may become as natural as breathing in and breathing out to go through each day seeking you, seeking your glory, and working together with you to impact this world. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.